True Spirituality, Part 9, Freedom in the Thought Life. The next step in our discussion of true spirituality is in relation to separation from ourselves in the internal world of thought. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, we find an order established. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Paul refers to a willful rejection of God and unwillingness to acknowledge Him as God or perhaps even deny that He exists. And what are the consequences? Doing so leads to compromised reasoning. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is an internal thing. The external is seen when in that passage, Paul writes that God turned them over to their desires, which resulted in a degrading of themselves. This is the order. First, the idea in their thought life, and then came the outward result of the idea. But it gets worse. Paul notes that they exchanged the truth for a lie and then started worshiping things. Here is the inward rebellion that brings about the external results of living a certain way. The external follows the internal, and the external is a product of the internal. Thoughts are first, and they produce the external. Yes, Paul writes later in that same letter that we are to present our bodies, our whole selves, as a living sacrifice, but this has meaning only on the basis of the understanding of the internal, our thought life and mindset. Transformation occurs as our mind is renewed, and that is internal. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Here is the world of those who reject God. They are walking in the futility of their thinking. Sounds much like the passage from Romans 1, doesn't it? This is an inward thing. The Bible claims that the problem with the unbelieving world has to do with futile thinking leading to a hardened heart. So again, the order is clear. The internal, then the external. The internal flowing over into the external. I think it's important to pause for a moment to clarify that this isn't to be taken to mean that those who reject God and Christianity do so on the basis of merely being stupid or a lack of intellectual prowess. This has nothing to do with one's level of intelligence, but of spiritual sensitivity. The verses just quoted from Ephesians chapter 4 contend that it is the hardening of the heart that leads to the ignorance that is darkened understanding. It is in that order. 
This is critically important in the context of modern thinking. The ignorance has to do with content as in something related to a truth claim or a perspective on there being objective truth that can be known. What objective truth that can be known? That ultimate reality consists of seen and unseen realms that interlock, presided over by the God who is there and who has revealed truths to us through the Bible and the person of Jesus Christ. Truth is content. Truth has something to do with reason. Truth has something to do with the rational creature that God has made us and the challenges we experience in the internal world of our thought lives are in relation to what it is that God has said about himself, the universe, we as those made in his image to have relationship with him, and how we are to do so. Again, all of the content having to do with these issues related to the deepest questions of what this all means, what's the meaning of life, are found in the Bible that include the truth claims of and about Jesus Christ. So when Paul writes things such as, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and be renewed in the attitude of your minds, that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, this is not simply a feeling but a matter of thoughts in a rational sense that include content and actual message. And this mind renewal isn't just for the purpose of knowing things, because Christianity is more than just knowing, it's being a transformed person doing life in the manner of Christ, loving God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. The renewed mind, which is the internal, flows into the external as we are to present ourselves, our complete selves, as living sacrifices to God to be agents of love, mercy, goodness, justice, kindness. We are too, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This holiness is not in some emotional sense, but in relationship to thought and things that can be stated as true in regard to the God who is there and how we are to relate to him and approach life in all dimensions. So here we see our inner thoughts are in relationship to specific truth, specific content, flowing out into the external world through our words and actions. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, there is yet another parallel passage. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The word wise here conveys the same message that this has to do with the thought world. And wisdom and understanding has a direct relationship with first believing that God exists and that he has communicated truths to us about who we are, what we most need, which is relationship with him, and how we can have that, which is through Christ. These are propositional or objective truths that first must be believed. It is a matter of our thoughts. And once a person believes the truth claims of Jesus and the apostles, which includes his call to deny self, take up your cross daily, which signifies submitting to his authority over all things, and follow him, that which begins in the internal world of thoughts then flows out to the external world in real, authentic ways 
that reveal a changed and ever-changing life. But recall from earlier parts that this is never to be done in our own strength, as if we can produce the good fruit on our own. There is an additional element here that is vital in our thinking, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, the agent of the Trinity. The Spirit of God works within the submitted believer to bring about the good fruit into the external world. So here we move on in our understanding of true spirituality in the Christian life, which is that it centers on our thoughts. The external is the expression, the results. Moral battles are not won in the external first. They are always a result flowing naturally from a cause, and the cause is in the internal world of our thoughts. Jesus taught clearly that one's internal condition must be right in order to bring about the proper results when he said, as recorded in Matthew chapter 15, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. The things that come out of a person's mouth into the external world, I'll say editorially, come from the heart and these defile them. So here we see that Jesus is teaching that the internal comes before the external and the internal produces the external. It is a matter of cause and effect. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus deals with this too. He speaks of anger not just as that leading to murder, but as murder, and lust as not just what leads to adultery, but as adultery. The Apostle John echoes this principle in his letter when he writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. The thought world is still first in terms of order, first the thought, then the action, but there is more to it. In relation to morals, as God sees it, which is most important, the thought is the thing. Hate doesn't just lead to murder, morally it is murder. We stress morally, since it is different from murder in the external world. Hating someone secretly doesn't usually lead to a prison sentence. So far, we have taken three steps. First, it starts in the internal. Second, the internal causes the external. Third, morally, the internal is central. Recall how in part one we talked about how anytime we break one of the other commandments, we have already broken the commandment to not covet, which is internal. It has to do with the heart's desiring something that is not yours to have. We find examples of this all throughout the Bible, starting in Eden, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that it was beautiful and desirable to make one wise. Here is the realization that sin is first internal where moral things are concerned, but leads to the external result of eating the fruit. The fall runs from the internal to the external. The same can be said of Satan's fall prior to that of humanity. When we read in Isaiah chapter 14 verses 13 and 14, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Where did all this take place? 
First of all, Satan is not pictured in the Bible as having a corporeal body such as ours, even though he might take certain forms at various times. However, the sin of Satan still originates in his thinking, the internal, and the external flows from it. Now, as we deal with the fall of Satan and then with the fall of Adam and Eve, in one sense, we must think of them as connected, for Satan has rebelled before he leads Eve into temptation and before she in turn gives the fruit to Adam. In terms of what one can call a theology of the fall, an important factor to note is that there was no prior conditioning. These were not beings, human or otherwise, descended from a long line of those who had rebelled against God and thus were caught up in patterns of thinking and behavior that are, for lack of a better term, wired into them. This is a person making an absolutely unconditional choice in the thought world. And so what we have here is a true first cause. The whole of the Christian belief system, its theology and all the answers it offers, is based upon the idea that a person with a mind, will, and emotions, and the freedom to make decisions that have consequences, makes in the thought world a true choice, which is a true first cause of an external result. This choice to disobey God's express command to not eat of a certain tree, produces something that did not exist before, something terrible, something that has led to all our tears and all our sorrows, evil. God made man and the angels as truly moral and rational beings. He has made them so that they can love or can say no to love, even against God himself. And here, at the fall, we have beings with personality, which has to do with having the capacity to think and make consequential decisions, making a true choice in the world of thought, serving as a true first cause, producing something that flashed like lightning over all of creation, evil, wickedness, leaving a vast ocean of tears. As reasoning, willful persons they have chosen, and they have brought forth into the external world that which did not exist prior, which is disorder and chaos. But let's go back to God's having created the universe from nothing. That which was created out of nothing and now has objective external reality is not an extension of God's essence. Nevertheless, the external world does reveal and exhibit things about him. When we speak of revelation, which has to do with God revealing truths about his existence and specifics pertaining to his character and his will, there are two theological terms to touch on briefly, general revelation and special revelation. General revelation has to do with what God has made, which includes an ordered universe featuring living, conscious beings that points to the existence of God as a personal being. The Bible is the special revelation pertaining to the message of salvation that unaided human reason cannot discern and know, and also provides the key to a true understanding of what God has made known about himself and humanity through the general revelation. In the Christian belief system, general revelation and special revelation constitute a unified, comprehensive revelation. God thinks, 
And then God brings forth into the external world that he had originally created out of nothing. We think and we bring forth into the external world. God's creation was not an extension of his essence, but it does exhibit things about him. Equally, our acts in the external world, which spring from our thoughts, are not an extension of our essence, but they do exhibit things about us. The table that is shaped by the carpenter is not an extension of the essence of the carpenter, but it does show something of the essence of the carpenter out of his thought world. Satan, Adam, and Eve brought forth evil and brought it forth as a true first cause, each one in his personality, each one acting as a unit. And each one of us, too, created in the image of God, is a true first cause. We are finite, so we cannot create out of nothing. Only God creates out of nothing. I am limited, but out of my thought world, I can bring forth, through my body, into the true external world. My body is the bridge into the external world. Let's notice that this is the reverse of how we are affected by the external world. Something occurs out there. I come into contact with it through my senses. It feeds back through my senses, my body into my thought life and affects me. My senses are the bridge between what happens in the external world and the affecting of what I am, a personality. My body is the bridge and this works in both directions. It's interesting to note how some belief systems or philosophies are counterfeits rather than total lies. They might be completely wrong in their system and in their direction, but they aren't ridiculous or stupid. They trap people not because they say nothing, but that they are distortions. Although we do not produce an extension of our essence in the things we do and produce in the external world, such as art, carpentry, engineering, etc., there is a revelation of ourselves, just as God did not create by an extension of his essence, but what he has created is a revelation of himself. Let's review various elements of the Christian life or true spirituality as we have seen in earlier parts of this series. First, we are to be dead to the things of the world in order to be alive to God. This is always an inner reality. Then we are to be as though we have been raised from death back into the world. This is the external. So the flow is from the internal to the external. Second, we have spoken of the Holy Spirit dwelling within a person which is obviously internal. Then comes the fruit of the crucified, risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ, he is divine, we as the branches, flowing into the external world through my body, whether it be the lips speaking a word or my hand with a tool set building a shelter for someone in need. Third, love starts as inward. We say we are to love God enough to be contented and love man enough not to envy. Those are internal, but flow out into the external world in action. Fourth, the reverse of all this. The challenges associated with the battle going on in the external world of humanity hammer us outwardly. The blows come at us in many ways, but if they stayed in the external world of just my body, as if I were a machine, they wouldn't cause me tears, angst, or true struggle. 
Instead, they flow through my senses into what I am in my thought life. And as they land, I can either be thankful to God even in the midst of and perhaps even for the struggle or rebel against him. The result of my decision is soon seen in the external world. Fifth, we have spoken of active passivity with the Virgin Mary as a prime example. The Holy Spirit conceived the baby Jesus in her womb, but when she was first approached by the angel, she made a decision in the thought world. Instead of saying, I want or I demand my own will, she submitted her body to God as the handmaiden of the Lord. Of course, the virgin birth is absolutely totally unique. There is only one space-time virgin birth through which the incarnation of the Son of God occurred. But in another sense, this active passivity is our place as well. In the inner world of our thoughts, we are to bow under the work of the Holy Spirit and give up ourselves to Him. As we do so, the fruit of the resurrected and glorified Christ flows out through our bodies into the external world. Two things are important to note concerning ourselves. First, we are finite beings and cannot create as God created, but it is still amazing that we can bring forth things into the external world that have lasting impact. However, the second thing is that even after I am a Christian, I can produce bad fruit if I yield myself to anything or anyone other than Christ. I can bring forth things that lead to life and things that lead to death. It comes down to how I am engaging my thought life. Now three conclusions. First of all, we must understand that the reality of communion with God and loving God must take place in the inward self. There is no use talking about loving God except to understand that it takes place in the inward world of our thoughts. This also applies to loving our neighbor. Real personal communication starts in the thought life and then extends out into the world of behavior and speech. Secondly, the real battle for men is in the world of ideas rather than in that which is outward. Ideas are the stock of the thought world and from the ideas flow all the external things, painting, music, architecture, literature, the love and the hating of men in practice, and equally the results of loving God or rebelling against him. All of this flows out into the external world. The Bible teaches that where a person spends eternity depends on his reading or hearing the ideas, the propositional truth, the facts of the gospel in the external world, and these being carried through the medium of his body into the inner world of his thoughts, and there, inside himself, in his thought world, either believing God on the basis of the content of the gospel or his calling God a liar. This is not merely a mystical existential experience, it can be expressed rationally. It is ideas. It is the content of the good news. But as far as what it means to a man is concerned, it is whether he accepts or rejects it in the thought world that makes the difference, if he believes God or if he calls God a liar. The preaching of the gospel is ideas, spectacular 
spectacular ideas brought to men as God has revealed them to us in the Bible. It is not a contentless experience internally received, but it is content, ideas internally acted upon that make the difference. So when we state our doctrines, they must be ideas and not just phrases. We cannot use doctrines as though they were mechanical pieces to a puzzle. True doctrine is an idea revealed by God in the Bible and an idea that fits properly into the external world as it is and as God made it and to man as he is, as God made him and can be fed back through man's body into his thought world, which then leads to action. The battle for man is centrally in the world of thought. Finally, The Christian life, true spirituality, always begins within the thought world. The internal is central and first. The spiritual battle is always fought in the world of our thoughts, which is why living the Christian life, the life of true spirituality, necessarily involves actively and intentionally setting your mind on and then adopting the teachings laid out in the Bible. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace." Romans chapter 6 verses 11 through 14. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Psalm 119 verses 30 through 32. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Read the teachings. Ponder. Think hard about the teachings. Meditate upon the teachings. Pray the teachings. And resolve to go out and live the teachings. This is the Christian life. This is true spirituality.